Hi, this is Christine Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 132 of the Deep South Dharma podcast, being released Saturday, June 5th, 2021. Our topic today, the gravel of suffering. It's been a while since I uploaded an episode. As I've said earlier, I have been shifting a little more attention to doing writing elsewhere these days, but I wanted to share with you this talk um, and meditation from the Saturday morning Deep South Dharma online group. We had been looking at the aggregates and teachings around the aggregates, and this was... um, a particular episode, a particular opportunity to talk about it that seemed workable for folks. And so um, I just want to share it here as something that may be useful to you in intervening on your own suffering. sitting down with this intention both to train the mind and to pacify the mind, or even one might say to train the mind by pacifying it, to train the mind by giving it experience that actually satisfies it. One of the gifts of regular meditation practice is that we develop this ability to recognize, oh, there's something here that's readily available to me that that I can use to actually bring a sense of well-being and comfort to this mind instead of always thinking that there has to be a change out there that happens. So with that intention to bring yourself, to bring your own mind and heart some real comfort and a sense of well-being. Being intentional about allowing your attention to rest where it's easiest for you to find it again anytime it wanders off. So whether that there's a sense of sort of digging out a place to sit, whether that's at the nostrils, the chest, the belly, or the overall sense of the body breathing as a whole. And to carry this metaphor a bit further, 
we want to approach the mind not as an overtired parent is in a hurry for a baby to quit crying so, so that we can go back to sleep, but maybe approaching the mind in a, in a way of um, some relative of, in the extended family that so enjoys bringing that sense of comfort the rocking the baby, the holding the baby, that it, it that there's really no hurry for the crying to stop. There's just a sense of care and enjoyment at being, um, being able, being allowed to bring comfort. And interesting to keep in mind with that also that Part of what makes that attitude possible, whether we're a friend or extended family member, is there's no self-blame in it, right? If the baby's crying, there's no sense of, oh, what did I do wrong to cause this? So as we settle down with the mind right now and allowing ourselves to have that sense of the back and forth, of the in-breath, the out-breath. We notice what the mind is doing, how it's feeling, the noise that it makes, the tensions and pains that it can create in the body, whatever it is, but we're doing it with a complete lack of self-blame and just a gladness for this opportunity.
Allowing yourself whenever something else has your attention. Just allowing yourself to note what that is and coming back again and again to just the back and forth of the in-breath and the out-breath. And no matter how calm or not the mind may be in any given moment, sort of having trust in this process of the, the practice itself, just the simple resting in breath, having trust in that process of soothing that heart-mind working in harmony with what actually works for that system instead of trying to talk ourselves into thinking, feeling, being a certain way, but really experiencing that sense of ease and comfort.
part of this willingness and ability to train the mind, to support the mind, to pacify the mind, is the willingness to allow this to be the most important thing to you right now. Even if later it kind of has to go in the background while something else is happening in the foreground. During this time of practice, you're allowing your own mind and heart to be your priority. Not any other condition, but the mind heart itself to be the priority. And doing that by utilizing this breath that is available unconditionally available, no matter how the mind and heart may be experiencing or feeling or perceiving. And so having that experience that there are certain things that can be trusted, and this process is one of them.
what I wanted to uh, suggest today is that we talk a little further um, about this topic of perception that occurred last week. I think something that can be really valuable is recognizing that when the Buddha is talking about the five aggregates, it's sometimes it, it we can get overwhelmed if we're trying to think of it in terms of a you know some sort of cosmological statement. Um, but as Judy mentioned before. Um, these are sort of experiences. And specifically, the Buddha is interested in what are the experiences that occur in a mind moment of suffering? What is happening there? And by being able to look at things happening in the mind that are happening so quickly due to our conditioning that it feels instantaneous, um, but it's actually not instantaneous. And, and being aware of the five aggregates gives us places where we can sort of intervene on our own suffering. And so this is, this sort of gets into the realm of sometimes what gets called Buddhist psychology or that sort of thing. Um, I'm gonna pull up um, just, just for a little note for myself. So, so thinking of it as aggregates of experience, all right, it's, uh, you know, um, an aggregate road, as Judy was talking about, you know, it's this sort of compilation, right, of gravel, of glass, of different pieces. So when we're talking about aggregates, though, in the Buddhist teaching, we're not talking about aggregates of things, we're talking about ag aggregates of experience, right? So there's the experience of contact through the body, right? And so, um, and so for instance, in the in the teachings and the Theravada tradition, you know, there's the reminder, the body is not self, or sometimes it's translated contact is not self. But what they're talking about is this experience of contact with an other, and I'm putting air quotes around the word other, but that sense of contact with the world or with ourselves via the body, whether it's contact with external things or even contact internally to our own internal experience, um, whether it's feeling the heart racing or uh, feeling a, a pit in our stomach or when hers or whatever. So contact can be of external things or internal things. Either way, we're experiencing it through the body. And with that contact comes feeling tone. And I'm not, and th at this level, we're not talking about emotions. We're not talking about mind objects. We're talking about as a result of having a body, we come into contact with feeling tone. And it's either, it's, it's pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, right? It's either something that to the body, at least the body is registering it as supportive of life, dangerous to life or neutral. Uh, Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu, uh, in his book, Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree, he talks about if it were possible, uh, if it were possible to stop at the experience of contact, or if somebody, you know, if somebody is gets so practiced and so that they keep their experience, they don't run off and tell, we don't, they don't make up any other stories besides just contact, that they're, 
there would be no suffering. It would just all be contact. He also says feeling tone for most people is the place of intervention, of just noticing, oh, I didn't like that, or I do like that. Just that simple. Um, and so if we can stay at the level of feeling tone, say something disappoints us, um, if we stay at the level of feeling tone, we to talk about, you know, that I felt disappointed. But not to go beyond that, um, because what, what happens is we go beyond that usually through perception. And this is where we begin to create a self that suffers. Um, and one of the reasons that I wanted to continue on with this topic that Judy brought up last week is um, that very evening when I, I was on a live Zoom thing that night with, uh, I mean, with hundreds of other people, with Ajahn Sachito, and in his opening meditation, he was talking about perception. It was like, oh gosh, I guess this is just sort of the topic for the week, you know, but he talked about the person that needs to be rescued is, or, or the, the self that needs to be rescued is this self that we create uh, that gets created through this process of perception, right? So if I'm disappointed in something, um, if, I, if I notice through contact, through my eyes, my ears, what I see, what I hear, um, particularly in terms of the comparing mind, if I see and hear that somebody's doing something different from myself, that, for, that immediately has a feeling tone. If we're fortunate, it's either pleasant, like, oh, I'm really happy for them, right? If in a given moment, uh, or it's neutral, it's like, oh, that's interesting. Um, if, it if there's something unpleasant, right, in it for us, that, that's because some perception have co has come in there whether about whether what they're doing is good or bad, whether they should be doing it or ought to be doing it, or if it's something where we're telling ourselves a story that, oh, what they're doing is great and I should be doing it too. Um, I should be doing that too. And if I'm not, then I'm, then I'm creating a self that's suffering. Um, and actually one of my favorite descriptions of this comes from, the, um, from a Christian author, C.S. Lewis in one of his books talks about um, that sort of a, an ideal situation is it, say, for instance, uh, an ideal mental, mental situation, mind and heart situation would be if you're a master architect, if you're really a master architect and you see another building that someone else designed that is absolutely fabulous, if you're a truly a master architect, your thought does not go to, oh, I wish I had created that. The thought goes to, oh, like that's wonderful, that's beautiful. I am so glad that is created, right? And so as we are seeking to sort of have some mastery, so to speak, we don't get control over our emotions and thoughts and heart, but as we gain some mastery in dealing with these emotional selves, to be able to see somebody else that's really good at something and to be able to go, oh, that's really cool. Um, or to have a moment where, uh, somebody else does something that, you know, <laughs> I, I was there, I used to have this family member that, that if somebody else in the world, whether they knew the person or not, if anybody had done something that they had 
thought of doing and not gotten around to it. Whether written a book about a particular subject or whatever it is, their feeling was of such frustration. It was almost like they were in a race. And if they thought of doing something and somebody else did it, then there was the feeling of, of uh, judgment or I should have been the one to do that. Um, where another option on that is to go, oh, good, that's created. I don't have to do that. It's totally, or that's created, that's one way of doing it. And maybe, you know, that gives me more encouragement that that can be done and I can do it too in my own way, right? But this experience of perception is where our sense of um, where, where even though Buddha Dasa Bhikkhu says, you know, uh, an ideal would be to intervene at contact or feeling tone, for most of us, we don't even realize we're suffering until perception and intention and consciousness have all rolled in there. And perception is, is then become, we can't, it's too late to roll it back to feeling tone. We're not, we're not just able to, but to, to take it at the level of perception and notice what am I telling myself? What am I telling I, myself I should be doing um, or I should know how to do or I ought to be able to do or, or that kind of, what am, I tell, what am I telling myself that then gives this, um, this creates this self that is suffering. Um, now, along with that comes uh, what gets uh, translated as um, volition or intention or mental formation. This is sort of the response that has uh, a motive attached to it somehow. So for instance, a very everyday situation, um, you can see people in very, even in very casual social interactions, <laughs> they might, they go, you show up at a gathering, somebody else is more dressed up than you are, right? There comes in this perception, either perception of, oh, they overdressed, or if I look around and everybody else is kind of dressed like them, then there's that perception of I'm underdressed, right? There's something bad about, there's something, there's a mismatch here. And, or I should have dressed differently, this, re, this intention, here's this suffering person who starts trying to relieve suffering in this very impulsive way, either by explaining to everybody far and wide why, why I'm dressed the way I'm dressed, or trying to you know, hide behind the dessert table so people don't notice you know, or behind the piano or behind whatever it is, trying to hide in a corner, you know, so they don't stand out. Whatever this level to, you know, in, in my, and I will say, this is my current understanding of this. This is my current experience of this, is that when we talk about these sort of impulsive sankharas, these, these, uh, Ajahn Suchito talks about sankharas, this, this fourth aggregate, as sort of like these, uh, almost like these computer programs that just open up and start running, right? So for some people, it's as soon as I find myself comparing myself negatively, I start explaining myself in some way. For another person, their, their, their computer program may start cutting down what the other people are doing or may start um, 
making plans to escape the gathering as fast as possible. Um, but there, but this, these, these attempts to get out of suffering that, um, that only actually serve to further this experience of an identity as one who is suffering, as I'm not good enough. So when we are, when we are unmindfully going through our experience, we have contact, feeling tone arises, there's this at the level of whatever our culture says should be happening, whatever we believe ourselves should be happening, memory gets in there, all of that creates this situation of suffering. Um, and in that almost simultaneously, it's happened so rapidly that it feels simultaneous, but it's this, this, this impulsive, I need to be something different. And this is true even if we are not actively taking action to do something different, but our mind may be telling us our mind may be running from that suffering by saying, well, you know, you really ought, ought to do blah, blah, blah. Um, and again, that just reinforces, almost solidifies that experience of consciousness of this sense of identity is here's, and, and you know, Ajahn Sachito in that meditation gave this long list. I mean, he just off the top of his head gave this long list of, you know, identity as the person who's not successful enough, the person who um, doesn't, uh, you know, nobody likes me, the person who, whatever it is, whatever forms of suffering. And so the practice, Dharma practice is this opportunity to recognize that suffering is a process that we are engaging in. Suffering isn't something that happens to us. Contact through the body happens to us. And feeling tone, that's, that's pretty much wired in. But the rest of it is something that we are doing to ourselves. So we may, we, we may walk into a party and everybody's dressed differently. That's a fact. That's the truth. That feeling tone, because, because the sense of belonging is so basic to our um, human wiring, I would be uh, even willing to say, you know, that that would be naturally an unpleasant feeling tone for a human being who, because our desire, the, the, the human sense of safety and fitting in is so great, right? But taking it beyond that is all optional. But it's not optional until we know it is. And so that's what the Buddha, you know, one of the beautiful things in the, in the morning chanting, um, that I, that I like to do. There's a line that says, um, that, that talks about the Buddha pointing out the Dhamma, beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. But I really highlight that for myself, the Buddha pointed out the Dhamma. This isn't something he created. He just pointed out, this is how things are. He pointed out, this is what we do to ourselves in our minds and hearts. And so, really breaking down, okay, here's what happens. And then at that happens. And at this level, a sense of self starts to get involved and make it worse for ourselves. Instead of just, oh, I walked in and I felt was dressed differently than everybody else. And my, my fear of not belonging kicked in. And that was really unpleasant, you know, and somebody who is not, who's, who, who is, uh, uh, 
I, I imagine perhaps, I don't know, since I haven't, I, I don't yet have the freedom I aspire to <laughs> through this practice, but I would imagine that somebody else walking into that party and, and having just that noticing, oh, I'm the only one here dressed as I am. There would be a, maybe a, the body would register that in a certain way with a jolt or a, you know, maybe even a flush of the face like, oh, you know, I didn't realize we were all dressing, supposed to dress up and that would be it. Then the, then the focus would shift to, oh, look at so-and-so over there. I would love to talk to them and see how they're doing, right? There's not this ongoing self-concern that gets created with, uh, as we engage in our, in our own suffering in that feedback loop of amplifying our own suffering. Um, let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma Podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.